0: Our Old Testament reading comes from the book of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab, and they remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. When they had lived there for about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons or her husband." Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had had consideration for his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law. And they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud. Again. Orpah kissed her mother in law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, See, your sister in law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister in law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all he had. And bought it.
0: This is the gospel of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Catherine, for taking the time to leave us and um, inform us of how we can be involved. Um, again, I will have that information in the e-news that will be that's sent out on Tuesdays. Uh, would you pray with me? May the words and meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and Redeemer. Our Redeemer, we ask that we would find you more beautiful this morning uh, than we first came. Amen. It was uh, Aristotle who once said, The soul never thinks without an image. This summer, we've been sitting with the parables that Jesus taught, the images that he gives our souls to think, to imagine our world anew, filled with his presence and at work a sower goes out to sow seed the kingdom is like a tiny mustard seed the kingdom is like yeast when combined with flour from the grains of the field leavens the bread for the whole village with each parable each story and each comparison jesus is stretching our souls to imagine what it might be like for the kingdom to take root in our world, and in our lives. And I love how the parables have done this because it goes against one of our most common impulses. When when life is hard or difficult or frustrating, our tendency is to want to float, to escape, to imagine some other world that I might get what I want. These parables literally pull us back down to earth, to the stuff of the earth, to remind us that God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. God's blessing is for this world, not some other world. His blessing is for where our feet touch the ground. It's for our neighborhoods, it's for our homes, it's for our workplaces. And the parables this morning continue to stretch our imagination in this way. You're walking through a field and you stub your toe on something, something So great a value that it could probably buy the state of Texas. God's blessing for this world is greater than we can even begin to imagine. Far more powerful. Far more valuable. God's kingdom is greater than. That's the point of this parable. And I want us to see that through sort of the three movements of these parables together. Finding, selling, and possessing. Finding, selling, possessing. So first, finding. Reality TV. It's some of our most absurd entertainment. And I'm embarrassed by some of the shows that I have watched, that I even currently watch. But there's one segment of reality TV that I am not embarrassed about. And that's the segment that's tapped into this idea of including the watchers in the joy of finding. American pickers. What treasure can you find in a junkyard? That rusty truck, somehow it's worth a lot. Fixer Upper, that's a great show. What house, what house has good bones that might not be first look like it should even be inhabited? Watch it be transformed. We found this hidden gem. And what these shows do is they actually start to you actually start to think, oh, I could do this. I could go out and find that hidden gem or that house and flip it. Who cares if I don't even know how to use a jigsaw? These parables bring the listeners into the joy of finding. In the first, we get, the, we get someone who stumbles upon this treasure. This could be a worker of the field. This could be a nomad who's just wandering, passing through this field. Or it could be the kid out in right field who's picking dandelions. Whoever it is, this person has stumbled upon this treasure. Now, this is in the day before banks. So this isn't uncommon to bury your treasure, especially during a time of war, which in the centuries leading up to Jesus' day, this would have been, uh, again, common. And even in centuries later, people do this. They bury their treasure. When you don't have a bank to put it, hide it. And this person has stumbled upon it and makes the necessary moves to acquire the field in order to rightfully possess the treasure. They've essentially won the lottery. In the second parable, we've a merchant on the hunt for fine pearls. Now merchants weren't always seen in the best light. According to an ancient Jewish text, hear this, a merchant can hardly keep from wrongdoing, nor is a tradesman innocent of sin. In, in, this, in the ancient world, this wasn't the most honorable of vocations. The pearl dealer has found the pearl. And in Jesus' time, it was the pearl that was regarded as the most valuable object in existence. So it became a figure of speech for something of supreme worth. This is like finding a diamond the size of a golf ball. The kingdom is like stumbling upon this treasure. Or like searching diligently and finding this great treasure. The truth of the matter, it doesn't matter how you've come across it, but it matters what you've come across. You found something so much greater in value, so beautiful, your life has now changed because of it. You don't look at a golf ball-sized diamond that could be yours and say, eh, I'll take it or leave it. Jesus is saying this is what it's like to uncover the mystery of the kingdom, to find that God is at work. In our world. Let's think about this from a negative perspective. We all suffer from a condition of FOMO. FOMO, fear of missing out. On the surface level, what is FOMO? Right, it's You don't want to commit to the weekend plans because maybe something else will come up. Or maybe now you have, you have, you have a kid and you're like, I'm afraid of what I'm missing out on. What are others doing? What experiences am I missing? That's like surface level, shallow FOMO. Then there's deeper FOMO. And it's that nagging fear that we're missing out on some story, some greater meaning that makes sense of our deepest longings. We are constantly on the search for that something greater. We want our lives to have value, to have meaning, to have purpose were restless what if your deepest longings for justice for beauty your longings for love and truth what if they had an endpoint and what if that endpoint not only completed but added to those longings the joy of finding the great treasure the one pearl that ultimate value that ultimate endpoint to which your deepest desires for value find their fulfillment. Jesus says the kingdom of God is that ultimate value. Do you live with God like this? Do you pray to Him like this? Because prayers, they get at our longings. Your prayers get at your longings. And do you come to Him with them? Do you actually commune with God in them? Because knowing That our deepest longings point to something greater, something greater that He is up to in our world. St. Paul, as he is praying for the early church at Ephesus, he concludes his prayer for this church this way To Him who, by the power at work within us, is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can all ask or imagine. Finding God is like finding that treasure. It is beyond all we can ask or imagine. What is that power that is at work within us? Let's think about the second movement. Selling. Selling. A common application of these parables is to talk about the sacrifice that needs to be make, made in order to possess this treasure. And to be sure, Jesus talks about that a lot. He talks about the cost of discipleship Quite often, especially with those who have embraced him, just chapters before, he's told his disciples this. He said, the foxes have holes and birds of the airs have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. There's going to be a cost, even to your sleep. That's there. And it's here in these parables, but from a different angle. You've discovered this treasure or this great pearl. You sell everything so that you can possess it. But your net worth has gone up. It's a better deal. You come out ahead. Your life is now utterly different. In this parable, it's not a sacrifice. It's a no-brainer. This might be a weird angle to think about the participation in God's blessing of the world, but here's the logic of this parable. The kingdom cannot be fitted into any previously existing system. All other systems have to be given up, in order to experience the kingdom. It's beyond compare and worth whatever it takes to participate in it. This parable is not just about sacrifice, it's about selling out. It's about leaving behind that which you understood before. It's about embracing a new reality, a new way of being. The kingdom is so utterly different, so utterly transformative, you cannot keep even the same value system. What is your stuff worth? You don't even care. Get it up on Craigslist. Just enough so that you can purchase the kingdom. The kingdom is for sellouts, it's for those who've experienced the economy of God and found it beyond compare. I've already mentioned these uh, parables occur in Matthew's gospel. It's interesting. The first words that Matthew records Jesus teaching about the kingdom is about the economy of God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes, the value system of the kingdom. Blessed. The announcement of good news. The announcement that because of Jesus, those who could never have imagined using that word, or ever even imagining that be a reality of their lives, blessed. Happy. The Beatitudes remind us that God is not like us. The people we usually think are the weakest, the poor in spirit, the meek, the mournful, the merciful. Those are the strongest because those are the ones nearest to God's heart for the world. They get that God desires the world to be They get that God comes for the sick, that he comes for those who are in need of healing. So our ways of evaluating are completely upended by God's economy. When you've discovered God's economy, you begin to ask, what does God value? Who does God value? How does his values reshape mine? How does his desires begin to reshape my desires, even for my own life? To mourn with those who mourn, to, per- to be pure in heart, to pursue righteousness. This is what it means to sell everything off because the value of God's kingdom is beyond comparison. I want to conclude by thinking about this final movement, that of possession, or possessing. What does it look like to possess the kingdom? Now, I'll admit, possess is probably a terrible word to use because it implies this notion of control or ownership. It is a bad word, but we're using it. The man with the treasure, the man, the per- the merchant who's got this pearl. We don't see how they live their life in the aftermath. We don't know if they actually invest wisely. But let's just think. To possess a treasure like this, something so valuable, your future has changed. It's opened up in a whole new way. What you had before no longer determines your life story. To possess the kingdom is to live in light of this new reality that's opened up. And this is where we get to the supreme value of the kingdom. And I think my niece can help us here. A couple uh, months ago, my family was in town visiting for my ordination service back in April. And uh, we're having dinner the night before on Saturday evening, and we've all grabbed our food, and we're sitting down, and I sit down next to my niece, and I'm eating my pickle, and I'm trying to make a conversation with a three-year-old, and so I say, hmm, I love pickles. Now she's in the why stage, so she said, why? Because they're salty? But why? Because uh, they've got a nice acidity to them? But why? Because they're juicy? But why? Because they've got a nice crunch when you bite into them? But why? Thinking to myself, is this ever going to end? I just like them. God's affection for his creation is intrinsic. We can, we can try to answer the whys, but at the end of the day, he just does. It reminds me of a quote that Robert Farrar Capon once said. This is the, the priest and the chef that I referenced last week. He said this The world is to God as wine and chocolate are to us. Creation isn't something God needs, it's something he likes. God actually desires his creation. It is his possession. And because of this, because of this desire for his possession, he moves heaven and earth for it. The kingdom that Jesus describes as one finding a treasure in a field or this great pearl, this is the kingdom, the very kingdom that he lived and died for. It's the very kingdom he embodied. And because of that, God raised him up so that resurrection could be that the future. That we all long for, that we hope for in our deepest longings has come that might be true. God's promised future full of truth, justice, beauty, and love has come in the person of Jesus. It is the new reality. This is what you possess. The story of Jesus is yours. His life is yours. His future is yours. To possess Jesus is to embody this reality of God's utter affection for his creation. To know that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so we sell out. And we take up God's desire for our world and our neighbor. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, in you we live and move and have our being, would you give us hearts like yours, that we might know the saving love of our Savior, that we might love like he loves. Please continue to meet us, we ask in our time of worship, that we might give you praise, that we might continue to know the surpassing beauty that is your life. And that is the life that you now call us to participate in. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The offering is a